Dino said, I'll knock you down talking to TJ. You know, there's conversations that happen up here you guys miss out on all the time. Listen, over the month of August, we have, uh, I've been conducting some meetings with different groups within our church uh, that we've, I've entitled uh, Raise the Bar. And so we've met with our Sunday school teachers. I've met with our, our choir and orchestra. I met with um, our youth and student volunteers. And I met with our deacons. And so as we work through these things, uh, we talked about a couple of different things that I, I believe that are important and, and things that I believe need to be communicated through, uh, through the pastor to these. I hope that uh, through the course of these meetings uh, that each of these groups left you know, a little encouraged and able to have their voice be heard and able to hear some things. And, uh, and, and the whole point of all this is for us to do what we do now, which is incredible, and do it better, to raise the bar, to do everything that we do as far as Emmanuel Baptist Church goes, and do it even better. And so uh, I put on the screen, there's a couple of things that, uh, that we, we talked about, but our focal verse of all of this is uh, in Ephesians chapter, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, I think it's up there, there it goes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human master, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you are serving. See, we want to do everything that we can do uh, better because He deserves our very best. He deserves our very best effort. And so through all that, it's now your turn as a church. And so we've talked to some of you, and I know that even some of you out here this morning say, listen, I've already sat through one of these meetings. Some of you sat through two of them, which I, I commend you. You should, uh, you should deserve an award or something for sitting through more than one of those meetings. But the reality is there's a lot of us here that don't volunteer and don't serve in our church in any capacity. Maybe, maybe you are involved in a small group. Uh, maybe you're not. Maybe you come every time, you, uh, every time the doors are opened, you know, every service you're here. Maybe, maybe you're just here as you can. Maybe your work schedule and, and, you know, kind of intercedes with, with church schedule. Sometimes that's okay. But what I want to challenge you this morning to do is I want you to do everything that you're doing right now and do it better. I want you to raise the bar in your own uh, individual life. And so this morning, it's going to be a little different because uh, it's personal and it's individual. I can't, I can't look at a group of, of folks this size and say, everybody needs to be doing this because some of you are, I'm, I'm doing that. And maybe I'm doing more than that. But whatever it is that you're doing, I'm going to ask that you do more. I had some uh, points that we kind of, the desires of our meetings were on the screen. I, I like to share that with everybody so there's transparency there. Continue to improve all aspects of IBC and her ministries, to lovingly say the hard things, that's the fun part, to lovingly say the hard things to make us better, and to listen and to make necessary adjustments. That's the whole point of all the meetings that we've had. That's really the whole point of what we're going to do today. Because our big goal is this, we want to make much of God and very little of ourselves. And so we begin to do these things. We begin to kind of implement some of these things, kind of talk, uh, kind of learn and hear back from some of our leadership and uh, to kind of make some adjust adjustments from the staff perspective and even from hopefully some of the attendees' perspective. Uh, but here's what I'm not asking you to do. Okay, this, this video, I've got a video, Mark, on, it's on the screen that this was put out about three years ago. Uh, don't do this. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead and play it. Sure. You might as well.
So this is a guy who's dressed as his mom getting ready for company. And this is not what I want you to do. Because what this means is that we're just kind of a flash in the pan trying to get our stuff together and it's not lasting change. Those of you who do this, I'm sorry. What are we, barbarians? That's my favorite line for that whole thing. We need a hand towel, not a dish towel. Okay. I sometimes, I'm not going to say I lived that moment in my house. I'm just saying that we all have lived this moment in our house. So here's the deal. If we are just kind of quick raising the bar and, oh, we'll do this and we'll serve for a little while, but then when the holidays come or when the new year rolls around and I'm not going to continue to do that, then that's not lasting change and that's not what we're wanting to do. We're wanting everyone to be able to step up and do what's right and really beyond what's right, what's honoring to God and do it lasting, and do it for a long time. Let this be a part of who we are, and let it become become habits that we continue to flesh out. And so, as we jump into this, uh, I always jump into the book of James when we have to say hard things. So if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse in the Bible today, but we're going to look at a bunch of different ones. This is just going to be our focus verse. And James, most of you know the story around James. James is Jesus' brother. Uh, you can imagine growing up in a house with Jesus as your older brother uh, and, and, and the perfection example that he set. And, you know, his mom, Mary, you look at him and say, why can't you be more like Jesus? Right? And so James grew up as an unbeliever. If you read the scripture, there's multiple different references when the, the brothers of Jesus are mentioned and they did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. And uh, at one point, they try to take control of him, and they kind of make fun of him. Uh, and then the Bible says that after Jesus dies and uh, is buried and resurrects, he appears specifically to James. And and there was something that happened in James's life after that moment. Obviously, uh, dead people normally don't appear to us, and so he had this radical change of perspective. He understood who Jesus was, and then the very next time we meet James and encounter James, he is in the book of Acts as the head of the Christian church in Jerusalem. He's one of the pillars of the church. He's one of the bigwigs of the church. His name drew some some attention, right? This is Jesus' brother. This is the guy we should be listening to. So James is kind of not running the show, but he's kind of helping organize. And so uh, we see Paul and Barnabas come and and present themselves to James because James is one of the leaders. And then James writes the book of James. And and you got to understand this. This This is what James wanted to do. James' primary purpose was to to kind of reform Judaism to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Because we got to remember, the time that we're living in, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. They know that it's promised in Old Testament. They see all the, the foreshadowing through the prophets. They know exactly what's going on, and they're waiting for the Messiah. We just recognize on you know 2,000 years later that they just missed it. They didn't see that Jesus was the guy that they were waiting for. Well, James wants them to recognize that. He wants them to see this is the man that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. And so the book of James, there's a little bit of uh, dispute about it. There was uh, Martin Luther. You guys know who that is. Martin Luther said that he wished the book of James could be torn out of the Bible and burned. He didn't like it. Okay, but here's the reason why he didn't like it. Because it balances the law, which was a very Jewish thing, with Jesus' teaching, which is a very Christian thing. Thing. And if you remember why James, what James was trying to do, he was trying 
to connect the dots for the Jews. And so when you read it with that aspect, you go, okay, that makes sense. There's a lot of people that say that, that James preaches a works-based salvation, and he doesn't. Okay, If you read the book of James, I believe it's in chapter 3, where he talks about uh, faith without works is dead. Y'all have heard that phrase before, but here's what he's trying to say. He's saying if you're going to claim it, then you better live like it. You can't just claim it and not really live it out, because living it out is where it's real, where it comes, where it comes to like reality to, to the believer and to those who are around you. So if you're going to claim it, you better live it. You can't, you can't have one without the other. So James does a lot of really great... We could go through the whole book of James and you guys would just be beat up by the time you left because he kind of just... He says what he wants to say, hits you in your mouth, and then he tells you that he loves you. And, uh, and that's exactly what I'm going to do to you guys today, okay? So we're going to just... We're going to follow the example of James today. So we're going to read this verse. It's already on the screen, but I think once you kind of get into it, you're going to realize really how deep and how profound this statement is. So this is James chapter 4. Verse 4 starts with this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I told you he kind of just punches you right in the mouth. and I get it. So let's, let's go through this. We're going to kind of work our way through this one, one verse. The very first statement, you adulterous people, is pretty profound. And you don't really catch this unless you realize the, the language that James is using. And so I'm going to help you because if you were a good Jew and you heard this in the original language, you would immediately connect some dots. Okay, the way this really should be uh, translated is this. You people are adulteresses. As in the female version of that word. Now, now, when you hear that as a good Jew, then, then there's some bells that are going off and there's some things that you're kind of remembering and you're kind of, the satellites are linking up and you're kind of going back to Old Testament. So I'm going to walk you through that this morning. Ezekiel chapter 23, you don't have to turn there. I've got it on the screen. Ezekiel, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, okay? And he's, he's talking in a, a bit of a parable. He's kind of talking about how the, the nation of Israel has prostituted themselves into worshiping foreign gods and bowing down to foreign idols. And, and through this parable that God is teaching through, he says this in verse 45, but the righteous men, this is the righteous men in Israel, will sentence them, this is the unrighteous, to the punishment of women who commit adultery and shed blood because they are adulteresses. And blood is on their hands. Now he's talking about the men of Israel, but he uses the female version of that word. Now, why is that a big deal? Because two reasons. Number one, everybody who lived when Ezekiel was alive knew what the law said. And the law says that if you're an adulteress, then the penalty is death, that you you should die for what you've done. The second reason why this is a big deal is because he called all the men women. He was like, you bunch of women, which to us in our century, in our culture is like, well, why would you say that? But to them, that was like, an, that, was the, that was an insult. You don't call me a woman. Because the reason why, and this is just the way it is, and I, this is obviously not how it is now, but in their culture, women were second-class citizens. They had no rights. They were 
they were bought and sold. Uh, they were traded as negotiating uh, pawns. And if you wanted a better field, then you can have my daughter if I get your field, that kind of a thing. Okay. And so there's this really weird uh, understanding of the role of women. Obviously, we don't have that now, but in this moment, they did. And so when God, through Ezekiel, calls them adulteresses, it's kind of a low blow. It's kind of a shot to their ego. Well, if you fast forward this about 600 years, now James in verse 4 of chapter 4 is doing the exact same thing. He's going, listen, you guys are just like the, the Israelites 600 years ago. You're just as adulteresses. I guess that's the proper grammar. You're, you're just... You're, you're just like the women back then, right? And so it's what he's trying to say. He's trying to get their attention. And he's trying to pull this in and go, you have not learned your lesson. You're still not doing what you're supposed to do. You're still not connecting the dots. For our purposes this morning, you're not raising the bar. Get it together. Do what you're supposed to do. Quit running to things that you know you're not supposed to run to. Quit acting one way at church and another way at home and another way around your friends, another way at work. Don't claim the importance of God in your life and not live it, you adulteresses. You're cheating on God. You've lost your first love. You've turned your back on the bride. You've, you've turned your back on God. You have, you've messed up. And so when you read that now, you go, okay, well, that's kind of a hard-hitting statement, you adulteresses. And then he says this, anyone, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Now, this is posed as a kind of a rhetorical, sarcastic question. Of course, they knew. They knew that. This is like me getting up here and saying, didn't you know that? But here's, here's a, kind of a way to read this and a little easier for us to understand. This friendship with the world is really love for the way of the world. Don't you know that love for the way of the world is hatred towards God? Now, this plays out in our life in a number of different ways, okay? We're not supposed to love the way the world loves, right? We're not supposed to love others the way the world loves others. Mark Chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus is talking and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was a brand new thing. They understand the Lord, love the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, but they love your neighbor? Why, why would I love somebody else the way I love myself? That's because we're not supposed to love the way the world loves. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is just blowing things out, and the people's minds are being blown. Going, how, how can you say that? Why would I pray for those who persecute me? I don't like those people. We're not supposed to love the way the world loves. We're not supposed to love our spouses the way the world loves. Listen, I'm going to say this. This is hard. If your marriage... If your marriage looks just like the marriages of your lost friends, then you've done something wrong. If your marriage as a believer looks just like the marriages of your lost friends, then you've done something wrong. We're not supposed to love our spouses the way the world loves. We're supposed to raise the bar. We're supposed to be better than that. We're supposed to love deeper than that. We should be praying with our spouses. We should... Um, 
actively be pursuing our wives. We should be having open lines of communication. We should be pouring out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But often, too often, our marriages look just like everybody else's marriages where we're just snippy and we're snarky and maybe we go two or three days without talking to each other or maybe we're just barking at each other and, and we're not, listen, we're not supposed to love the way the world loves. We're not supposed to love our kids the way the world loves our kids. Here's, here's my, I got it in my notes, I love it. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is tell them no. I, I love telling my kids no. I do. I'm like, this is my little gift to you. No, right? Because we, we go through a world where they get told yes all the time. And, and I'm not saying say no for no sake. I'm saying when you can say yes, you say yes. But when, when, in, when you love them enough to say no, then that's proving that you love them enough to set boundaries for them, to set appropriateness for them, and to say no. Sometimes sometimes you say no just because you've been saying yes so much. Sometimes you're just like, listen, I, you, you could, but no, you're not going to. And they don't understand that in the moment, but because we love, because we're supposed to love in a way that's different from the way the world loves, everybody else may be doing it, but you're not. Everybody else may get to, but you're not. Because I love you enough to tell you no. I'll listen. Sometimes I'll walk in and go, I got a present for you. It's in my pocket. No. Right? Because I just like to say it. And my kids are like, Dad, shut up. I don't like that. But the reality is, when you love your kids differently, you love your kids enough to say no to the things that, that you need to say no for. Listen, I've got it written down in my notes. This is really important. Give them the ability to choose. That's independence, right? Give them the ability to choose. That's independence explain to them the consequences for bad behavior. That's autonomy. Explain to them, listen, this is what happens. You've got two choices here, but if you choose wrong, then there's going to be a punishment. And then enforce that, punish, that, that punishment if they choose bad. That's called reality, right? Because we've got a lot of kids who are growing up, and they're, they're this, oh, it's a whole other sermon. I could get off into this. Adolescence, did you know, I've said this in here before, adolescence is now extended into your early 30s. Give me. Okay, you're not an adolescent in your you're not an adolescent when you're 20. Get over it, okay? But but because we just live in a world where everybody tells yes and the kids are growing up and they're getting real jobs and they're showing up late and then they get in trouble or get fired and it's not fair cuz I had to do it doesn't matter what's fair because there's punishment for not following the rules. That's called reality. That's your reality check this morning that had nothing to do with my sermon. Okay? Uh told you Told you. Okay, so we're not supposed to love. I've got to go back to my notes. What, I'm not supposed to love the way the world loves. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to look differently because when we love the way the world loves, we have friendship with the world, and we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to speak the way the world speaks. The world speaks in condemnation. We're supposed to speak in grace. We talked about this last week, right? Where Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. We're supposed to speak in grace, but all too often. Listen, the reason why Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because he knew that we would do that for him because we're really good at that, really good at pointing the finger, really good at talking about people and how dare they, they should know better what's going on with them, what's wrong with them. We condemn people all the time. Jesus didn't have to do that. We could do it for him. He came to save people. We can't do that. And so he has to do it. Our, our speech should be so full of grace, it's just dripping. You see somebody who's hurting, who's made some bad decisions, who's done something that you just, on your side of 
the situation is a no-brainer, but they made the wrong decision. Instead of condemning, wouldn't it be great if we just extended grace? Hey, listen, I know you're going through a hard time. You know, life doesn't look like the way you wanted it to right now, and those decisions didn't pan out. And, and I'm not here to say, I, I told you so. I'm here to say, what can I do to help? How can I, how can I serve? How can I, how can I come alongside you? That's grace. We speak with grace instead of condemnation. It reminds us. Titus 3.3 3 says this. This is great. At one time, I love Titus. He reminds us. At one time, we too were foolish. Disobedience is Paul writing to Titus. At one time, we, were, we too were foolish. Disobedience deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But then... The kindness and the love of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of anything righteous that we would have done, but because of His great mercy. Paul's telling Titus, remember, you were one of them too. But we like to sit back and go, oh, I'd rather condemn them instead of remember that I used to do the same stupid thing. We're not supposed to speak the way the world speaks. We're not supposed to serve the way the world serves. The way the, word, the way the world serves is very self-serving, right? It's whatever works best for me. But we're supposed to consistently, over and over and over again, put other people's needs above our own. And that goes beyond our time and our, our quote-unquote, service projects. That goes into our money and our finances. It goes into our investment into the future generation. It goes into our investment in the current generation. This goes on beyond these normal parameters that we like to set up. We're not supposed to serve the way the world starts. Listen, we're going to do something in the end of October. I haven't even announced this yet, but we're going to have a, another coat drive. You guys remember a few years ago we did this. We gave away coats to as many people who came in here and wanted them. And some of you can serve in two different ways in that. One of them, you could show up just to give away coats and to talk to people and encourage them. The other one, some of y'all need to buy some coats. You can go to Walmart and get it for cheap. And we're going to give away as many coats as we can give because there's kids who go to school every day who don't have a coat to wear. There are adults who walk with streets of Warren every day during the winter. They don't have a coat to wear. We're going to give them one. We're going to give as many as we can. That's an that's a easy, practical way to serve. There's nothing that we're getting out of that. We're not, we're not trying to make our name great through that, but we're serving in a way that the world doesn't serve because we're not supposed to. Because when we live our lives that are, that are so in line with what the world is doing, then, then we are essentially in hatred towards God. That's what that verse says. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And that list could go on and I could go on about how we're not supposed to love and we're not supposed to serve and we're not supposed to give and we're not supposed to, all those different things I could go on and on and on about. But the point is, if we do all these things just like a lost person, then we're living in hatred towards God. Now, here's, here's where I think I lose you. And, and honestly, I, I'd say this about myself. A lot of you would say, Matt, I get it. But just because I do this and this and this and this doesn't mean that I hate God. I'm just, I, because we justify things, right? We like, to, I'm the world's best at this. Ah, I, didn't, I was trying to do this and I can spin things and I can justify it. But the reality is, Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty that if you're not with me, you're against me. Those who do not help me gather, scatter. Jesus is very black and white on this. Either you are or you are not. And either you are friendship with the world and hatred towards me, or you are anti, not anti the world, but you're just not living like the world, and you're trying to pursue me. This is one way or the other. Therefore, we have to speak better. We have to love better. We have to serve better. We have to raise 
the bar in our lives because they have to look differently than everyone else. Church, listen, church, church moves from being an extra to a priority. Giving moves from from what's left over or what I can to first fruits. Service moves from I don't want to to I get the opportunity to. I say this all the time, and I'm gonna I'm gonna copyright this one day. Maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with this one day, but I, it's mine. I came up with this. Make what's most important most important. When we make what's most important most important, then all these things begin to fall in line, and we're not living in friendship with the world because that that's not most important. Living in what God has for us is the most important opportunity. And here's here's how I know this. I, I had a deacon call me this last week. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm out and about, and I encountered this couple, and they're over here in Warren, and they need a ride like to Monticello. And I don't remember even the name of the little community that's over in Monticello. Uh, I call it Monte Carlo because I don't remember the name of it. But it's this little community outside of, uh, I think it's on the north end of Monticello, and they's like, and they need a ride. And my truck is just nasty. Like, I don't have room in my truck. Do you care if I carry the church van and carry these people to Monticello? I just think it would be a great opportunity for us to do that. I said, go for it. I love that. Here, come by my house, get the key to the van, and, and drive them over there. And if you, if you have to put gas in the van, then we'll pay you back for the gas because that's a service for these people. And he did it. And, and, and I felt so guilty when I hung up the phone. He came by the house and got the key and whatever. And I, I said, and, and like I was sitting at my house, and I was thinking, I probably wouldn't have given him a ride. I, I probably wouldn't have even offered it. I'd been like, no, oh, it stinks for you. Hope you enjoyed the walk. Be there around 11 o'clock tonight. See you later. Right? Because that's just like... But this, this guy, he didn't see it as a burden. He saw it as an opportunity. And I, I, I'm going to give these people a ride, but I, I just, there's too much junk in my... They have to ride in the back, and I'm not going to do that. Can I, can I use the church van and just let our church do that for them? Absolutely. And so took the 20 minutes he drove over, 20 minutes to drive back. Took the hour out of his life to serve somebody because they're raising the bar, and they're saying, listen, this is not a, it's not an inconvenience. This is an opportunity to serve and to love people. Because this is not what the world would do. Because friendship with the world is hatred toward God. And then he says this. We'll go back to our theme verse. You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Did you check that? Anyone who chooses, it's a choice. It's an active, conscious choice to be a friend of the world. People look at me all the time and say things like, I don't, I don't know how I even got this bad. I don't even know how I got to where I am. And there's a really simple answer for the majority of those questions. One decision at a time. You actively choose one decision at a time to be a friend of the world. And that can be played out in a thousand different directions. But it's a choice every time. No one's forcing you. It's a choice. I'm, Jess and I are going to, uh, we're, we're going to Louisiana and we're going to speak at this uh, parenting conference uh, next, next month. And, uh, and, and the guy talking to me said, listen, we want you to talk a little bit about uh, parent pressure. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, it's like peer pressure, but it's from the parents. You know what I'm talking about? Like parent pressure. The parents are trying to pressure you other parents to do other things. I was like, yeah, I know exactly what it is. Because those are just little decisions that we have to make. 
that impact the decisions and the courses of our life. And then the next thing we know, we're way over here. and We're going, how in the world did we get there? One decision at a time. Well, okay, we'll do that. Okay, we'll involve this. Okay, we'll do this. Okay, we'll skirt the options on this. We'll do this. We'll do this. And the next thing we know, we're all the way over here. One decision at a time. So here's, here's what Paul says about this. And I think this is really... This is really great, and I know that we're reading out of James, but Paul has a lot of wisdom in this. So you can put your bulletin in James 4, turn over to Romans chapter 7. Uh, Paul, who we all kind of recognize as the kind of the spiritual guru of the New Testament, wrote the majority of it, and he has a whole lot to say about a lot of different things that are very impactful in our life. Um, he gets real personal in Romans 7, and I love it because it shows that Paul's a real person, it shows that he had real emotion and he struggled with real things just like we struggle with real things. In Romans chapter 7, he says this. It's on the screen, but i like for you to see it in your Bible. Verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It's no longer myself who do it but it's a sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, it's the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. Ever felt that way? It felt like Paul feeling, listen, I don't know why I'm doing what I do. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's good and holy and pleasing to God every time. I want to, but I just don't do that. And I end up doing the stuff that I know I'm not supposed to do. I end up doing the stuff that I hate to do. I'm in this kind of flux of friendship with the world, hatred to God, or pleasing to God, and and above and beyond, and as Aliens and strangers to the world. And Paul is struggling. He's just writing this out going, listen, this is reality. I'm just dealing with this. I, and, and I love, if you read it and you read it fast, you get real confused with the all I do and don't want to do and do, 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 do. And you just kind of keep going and it kind of makes your brain go fuzzy. But if you read it intentionally, then you're realizing what he's saying. It's like, I really want to please God. I really, everything inside me wants to. But I end up going back to this stuff that I know I'm not supposed to do. I keep acting like the world. And I know that I'm not supposed to do that. This is the battle, I believe, of every Christian. Every one of us. Especially those who are wanting to raise the bar, right? We, the majority of you, listen, you know what's right. You know what the right thing to do. I, you don't need me up here on a Sunday morning telling you to love other people, to respect your spouse, to uh, love your kids, and don't cuss. Like, you don't need those four rules of life because you know those four rules. Like, you don't need me. You need me to expound on Scripture. You need me to bring you to a different point, maybe even from a different perspective, and hopefully draw some things out for you. But you don't need me to tell you the basic tenets of what you are and are not supposed to do because you know those, right? But doing those is a whole other level, a whole other animal. I know what I'm supposed to do, but doing it. He says, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living 
in me. And listen, that's not an excuse. That's an admission. Okay? A lot of people will go, well, the devil made me do it. No, that's, that's an excuse. But it's an admission saying, listen, it's the sin in me. It's the sin in me that did that. And, and as much as I want to, I still got stuff that I'm struggling with. And I still got areas in my life that, that are dark and that are, that are anti-God. And, and that's the reason why I do this. It's, it, that's not an excuse. That's an admission. I've got struggles. Paul's looking at us going, you know what? I, I struggle with this nature, this sin nature that's in me. Because everything inside me wants to do, everything in my heart and in my mind tells me to do the right thing. But what we do is we think it's going to be okay. I can, I can do, I can just kind of coast for a little while. I can put my life on cruise control. I'm in a good spot and I can just move forward. But the what we begin to realize is that there's no cruise control, right? There's no cruise control in our parenting. There's no cruise control in our, our marriages. There's no cruise control in your, in your relationships with your coworkers or in your own job and your own business that you own. There's no, there's no cruise control in your relationship with Jesus or in your involvement in church because if you are in cruise control, you're falling behind. And you think, well, I can just kind of work things out, but everything takes effort. Everything takes intentionality. Everything sometimes can be hard. There is no cruise control. There's no autopilot when it comes to things in life. Now, keep your finger here in Romans 7 because I'm going to have you turn somewhere else, but we're going to come back to Romans 7. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is really great. This further explains his thought in Romans 7. It's on the screen. It says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against this devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Hello. You've got an enemy that's scheming against you. We've got to be prepared not to fight against flesh and blood, but against uh, the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your kids. It's not against your coworkers. It's not against your mothers-in-laws, right? It's against a, a, an evil spirit that is against us. Listen, when you choose to raise the bar in your marriage, don't you think that your husband's going to do something, whether it's intentional or not, and it's just like the dumbest thing he could have ever done in the moment? When you choose to raise the bar and you're trying to make church like a priority, do you not think that your kids are going to just turn into little terrorists on Sunday morning before you're trying to leave the house? And they're going to make everything so much harder than they should? When you're trying to raise the bar in your spiritual life, don't you think the enemy will attack you on every side, especially when he, where he knows that you're weak? Don't you think that he'll try to convince you that this month is just a little bit too tight to send that tithe check in? Or that it's not a big deal if you do this. And I know that I mean, you read those verses and you read about how you keep doing the things you don't want to do and then you have this enemy that's against you and you feel like there's just not very much hope for what you're supposed to do and, and there's no cure and there's no remedy for the sin nature that's living in us and uh, it's going to continue to push us to do the things that we hate. And on top of that, there's this devil and he's scheming against me. And when you think about him scheming, I just feel like he's over there like fiddling his fingers in the corner, like trying to figure out how he can trip us up. What do you do, right? 
So go back. Remember I told you to put your finger in, in, in Romans 7. Go back to Romans 7 and see how Paul wraps up this thought. All these things that he doesn't want to do, he continues to do. And he says this, I found this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, right? This is exactly what he's saying in Ephesians. The spiritual forces are waging war inside of us. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. This is what I want to do. In the heart of hearts, I know. But I see this other law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within its members. This is a battle that's raging. I want to, but I keep doing these other things. My actions and my wants don't line up. What can I do? Verse 24. This is his great culmination of this statement. What a wretched man I am. Right? Can you identify with that? What a wretched person I am. And then he says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't do this on my own. I cannot understand how to live this life that, that is so heavy and so hard sometimes. I can't do this. I can't raise the bar for our service. I can't do that on my own. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who can rescue me from this? You can't do it yourself. Only He can. And we have to rely on His guidance and we have to rely on His provision and we have to rely on His grace and it's totally against our nature to do so. It's completely against the law and the war that's raging inside of us to just completely relax into living for Him and resting and trusting and and allowing Him to move in our hearts. It's against our nature. And Paul says, you just have to. Because anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is essentially choosing to be opposed to God. Here's my last thought, and I'm, I'm done. This is kind of the hard reality. I kind of like this. We've got a lot of people, members of IBC, who are choosing friendship with the world. A lot of us are choosing friendship and are ignorant of the impending result of hatred towards God. Not ignorant people. They're not bad people. They're people just like us. They're people just like me. But we're actively choosing to look like everyone else. When it comes to church, when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to the things of God, you are choosing to look like everybody else and they don't see the spiritual adultery that's involved in that. They don't see the conscious choice. They're just living a life that is really in opposition to God. And I believe that God would look at us and say, don't you know? Don't you know that that when you live like this, you're living against me? Don't you know that it's not supposed to be like this? The sad fact is, a lot of us know, and we choose to do it anyway. A lot of us know that the way that we live our life is not fully and 100% in with what God's got for us, and yet we choose 
to do it anyway because we think that God's going to somehow grade us on a curve. It's okay. We're not as bad as so-and-so. We're not as good as so-and-so. We're kind of in the middle of the pack and we think we're doing okay. But that's not how God does it. Either you're for me or you're against me. If you're not helping me gather, then you're helping scatter. And it seems very like cut and dry, but it just is. It just really is. So we got to raise the bar. We got to choose to do what's right. We got to step up our commitment. We got to deepen our faith. And we got to do the things that God is calling us to do in the response to His goodness and who He is. So here's what we're going to do we're going to give you an opportunity this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity just to take a moment with your Father, with your Savior, with the Creator of the universe and say, God, I'm ready to step it up, I'm ready to raise the bar. And maybe for some of us, it's, a, it's one area. Maybe you know you're struggling and you're falling short in one area. For some of us, it's like seven. It's like we're, we're saying, okay, God, i got to raise the bar in a lot of areas, and i got a lot of things to start covering, and so I'm going to need your help because I can't do this on my own. And i got to love better, and i got to serve better, and i got to speak better, and i got to be more participative, and i got to be more intentional with my walk with you, and i got to get up in the mornings, and i got to read my, my Bible. i got to actually study what the Word says. I need to spend time in prayer. i got to raise the bar. I got to really invest in the church. I got to serve the church because the church serves others. I've got to see people in their spiritual condition and not be afraid to speak the name of Jesus and point them to something that's bigger than the moment, that's bigger than me and them. I've got to raise the bar, God. So, this is your opportunity to do that. TJ's going to come and he's going to say, Hey, this is Matt Overall, I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.